0: This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Well, please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and shoot your hand up. We'd love to be able to get a Bible into your hands today. Uh, And so go ahead, we have people in the back who live to give it to you, feel free to shoot your hand up and don't feel bad about that. We're going to hear some things in God's Word today that are so good, I want to make sure that you can see it so you know I'm not making it up. As you turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, I'm not sure if you've ever seen a Texas A&M football game, but if you do, you'll notice that the student section stands the entire time this is not just because they are a bunch of young people full of energy and excited to root for their team. This is actually a school tradition that dates back to January 2nd, 1922. On that day, the Texas A&M Aggies were facing the top-ranked team in the country, the undefeated Center College. As the game went on, the Aggie football players kept getting injured. They were overmatched and outsized. And so they were just going down like flies, one after another. In desperation, the coach looked up into the stands and saw E. King Gill, was a basketball player that played for Texas A&M. The coach motioned for him to come down to the sideline and asked him to suit up and be ready to play. And after he came down and put that jersey on, the game took a turn, and Texas A&M began to claw their way back. And eventually, they went on to beat Center College, pulling off what is considered one of the greatest sports upsets of all time. And so now every student stands in the tradition of saying, I'm here, I'm ready to be of service. That's what God is going to call us to in the passage that we are about to read. We're going to see Paul talking about his service to God. But in doing so, Paul is not just sharing his personal biography. He's really giving a model for every Christian to follow. Paul was an apostle who was someone commissioned by God to write scripture and really be the authority of God on earth. That was a unique, never-to-be-repeated role in the early church. But in this passage, Paul's not going to speak about being an apostle, but rather he's going to speak about his ministry that word ministry simply means service. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, we're told that ministry, service is what every Christian is called to do. To be a follower of Jesus is to be someone who has been enlisted into the service of the Lord, someone who's not supposed to just be a spectator in the stands, but who's been called down by God to put his jersey on and be ready to engage in what he's doing. And so I've been telling this morning's sermon, every Christian's call to ministry. Every Christian's call to ministry. Let's go ahead and read Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 down through chapter 2 verse 5. This is God speaking to us through his servant, Paul. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures Of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray that God would meet us through the preaching of His Word. Why don't you go ahead and just take a minute and pray for yourself that God would speak to you today? Now please pray for me that I would speak clearly and faithfully, and in a way that is helpful to you. God, thank you that you are here with us. You not only inspired these words to be written, but you have preserved them throughout history, so they they could come to us today. And you, Lord, are here by your Spirit to open our spiritual ears to hear what you have to say. And so we pray you would do that, that you would do that so that a far better sermon might be heard than the one I'm actually going to preach. Please do this for the good of our souls and the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So this passage starts with a puzzling phrase. Paul says that he's going to make up something that is lacking in Christ's afflictions. This seems to go against what is the whole theme of this letter, which we've been saying every week. The theme of the book of Colossians is that Christ is enough. He is supreme over all things and therefore sufficient for all things. Yet here, Paul is saying there's some kind of lack that he's making up. What on earth could he be talking about? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. Uh, we're actually going to need to dig into this passage and kind of understand a little bit more, a bigger picture of what is Paul saying in general, and then we'll see what he specifically means About what he is doing and filling up what is lacking in Christ. And so, as we consider Paul describing his ministry and consider how this is a model for what should be our lifestyle of ministry to the Lord, I want us to look at three things the purpose of our ministry, the price of our ministry, and the power of our ministry. The purpose of our ministry, the price of our ministry, and the power of our ministry. First, the purpose of our ministry. Paul says that ministry is, verse 25, look at it, making the word of God fully known. And what is this word of God? Well, verse 26 tells us, it is the mystery hidden for all ages, but now revealed to the saints. As we saw in verse 2 of this letter, saints is not a reference to some Group of super elite Christians was actually how the Bible refers to all Christians, and so there's something that's been revealed to every Christian. Something that we know, which is what it's we know the mystery of Christ. When the Bible talks about mystery, it doesn't mean the mystery in the sense of like a whodunit novel. I love those, but that's not what it's talking about here. The word mystery means to reveal something that had formerly been hidden which in verse 27 Paul says this mystery that's now been revealed is Christ in you that word Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah which means anointed one in the Old Testament the books of the Bible written before Jesus came the Messiah or Christ is talked about often He's talked about it as a king who will come and will rule over the nations. And so Psalm 2 or Isaiah 9, Daniel 7 talk about this conquering king. But the Messiah is also talked about as a suffering servant. Who will come and experience and taste even death. And so Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 52 and 53 make this very clear. And no one could understand fully how these two pictures of the Christ could come together. How could there be a king who would rule over all, and yet also be crushed and killed? A king who would be victorious, but also somehow be defeated. It was a mystery, but now in Christ, Paul's saying, this mystery has been revealed. Because Jesus came, and he said, no one takes my life, but I choose to lay it down. And he gave himself over to death on the cross to take the judgment of death that you and I deserve for our life of sin. He suffered taking the punishment for our wrongs. He was crushed for our sin like that suffering servant was talked about by Isaiah. But his death was not his defeat. He took the punishment of death But because there was more power in him than sin in us, after three days he came roaring back to life just like he said he would. And so Jesus is both the suffering servant who died on the cross and the conquering king who came back to life with the victory of our salvation in his hands. And now for anyone who puts their faith in Him, for anyone who believes and trusts that Jesus died for your sins, and He rose again to prove that He can save you from your sin, for anyone who believes in Jesus, we now have what Paul says in verse 27 is the hope of glory. We have hope that we are not going to be abandoned to the grave. We have hope that either through death Or through the Lord's return, we will be delivered to the eternal glory of life with God forever. Washed clean of our sins. Forgiven, restored, beloved, basking in the joy of being with our Savior and our God. Praise God, friends, that the mystery of Christ has now been revealed in the face of Jesus. And the purpose of our ministry of our service to God, what God wants our lives to be about is making this mystery known. Verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim. That word for proclaim doesn't mean to preach like what I'm doing right now. Preaching certainly can be a part of proclaiming, but not everyone's called to be a public speaker. This word proclamation means more generally to openly declare and actively celebrate to openly declare and actively celebrate this is what we're going to be about as Christians to openly declare what we believe about Jesus and celebrate him actively to others and I love that def- definition of proclamation because what that means is that we don't need to have every answer to every question that people can ask about the Christian faith we, we don't need to be eloquent speakers we don't need to be persuasive debaters. I mean, so often can't we just get locked up when we think about like sharing our faith because we just feel so inadequate, like, oh, I'm not sure I'm gonna know what to say. Friends, we're not told to always know what to say. We're not told to be debaters. We're told to be proclaimers. We're, we are to be like the blind man in John chapter 9, who's like, hey, I don't know everything I just know about Jesus, but one thing I do know. I once was blind, but this man made me see. (laughs) And he's just celebrating the goodness of God and what God's done in his life. This is what our lives are really about. It's the question I think this text asks us at this point is this. What do people know about you? What do they see you celebrating? Our purpose as Christians is to celebrate Christ. To proclaim him to everyone. Notice verse 28 says, we are to proclaim him, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Paul wants to make sure it's clear that everyone needs Christ proclaimed to them. Whether someone is far from believing in Jesus or whether someone's been a follower of Jesus for a very long time. How we serve the Lord is by proclaiming Christ to everyone that we interact with. And doing so for this purpose. He says, he proclaims Christ to everyone. Why? Look at the end of verse 28. That we might present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity is certainly not knowing everything. No, all of heaven is going to be about learning new things about God. God is infinite. We can never plumb the depths of who he is. And so maturity is not about knowing everything. Nor is it about being perfect. First John one eight makes it really clear, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We'll never be perfect in this lifetime. but we can mature more and more, which means that we can grow in following Christ in closer and deeper ways. Here's how we need to think about maturity. It's taking the next step. That's maturing in Christ. It's taking the next step and getting closer to knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. And so whether someone is far away from God or someone's been following God faithfully for decades, we all have a next step we can take. We all have a way that we can mature. For someone who's far from Christ, their next step might be just coming from a place of believing that there is some kind of concept of a God, right? Maybe it's someone who's who's just a total atheist, and a step for them is like, I'm not an atheist anymore, I'm an agnostic. Praise God for a step. For someone who's been following God for a long time, maybe there's a particular area of godliness that the Lord wants you to grow in. Praise God that we can grow in taking the next step. The point is that we all have ways that we can grow. And so our ministry is to meet people where they're at and help everyone we interact with take the next step in their walk with God. Now, I know at this point, many people might feel ill-equipped for that. It's like, man, I can get around, you know, my head of sharing about Jesus with someone who doesn't know him. Um, but, like, I just became a Christian myself six months ago. Like, maybe, maybe you're thinking that. You know, we have a lot of people who recently came to Christ in just the last few years. And you're like, I, I don't know how to help someone who's been following Jesus a lot longer than me. How, how could I possibly help them mature in Christ? I'm still, you know, maybe you're like, I'm just still trying to learn to follow him myself. Well, friends, helping someone take the next step doesn't mean that you need to be ahead of them in your growth. They aren't following you. They are following Jesus. And so to help someone take a next step, all you have to do is encourage them to look to Christ. My community group does this for me all the time. If you're new to us, I uh, don't know what community groups are, they're just groups that meet throughout the week where we kind of talk about life, usually follow up to the sermon, talk about how it applies to our lives, and we just spend some time praying with one another. I go to a community group led by Chris and M. Lehman, and something they lead us in at the start of every single community group is we do something called an I-SPY. We just go around and we share something that we see God at work at in our lives in the past week. And it's just so encouraging to me. What happens at that moment is we're just proclaiming Christ to each other. We're saying, do you see how God is actively at work? And I grow through those times. I mean, most likely, I probably know more theology than most people in the group. I'm pursuing a doctorate in theology, and so I certainly hope so, or else I'm wasting a whole lot of time and money. But even though I might know more, that's not maturity. Maturity is growing in your affections for Christ. And I, as I see people in my group, some of which have become followers of Jesus even this year. My faith is so encouraged. I'm helped to grow as I hear them proclaiming Christ in their lives. And so, if you know Jesus, you are qualified to share about Jesus. And here's how you know you're helping someone mature in Christ. Here's how you know that you yourself are maturing in Christ. Paul makes the marks of maturity clear in the first part of chapter 2. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Watch, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice there are two things here that Paul speaks about that define Christian maturity. He talks about the riches of full assurance of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Riches, treasures. Do you hear this? This is is value language. Maturing in Christ is realizing more and more the value of Christ. It's not just knowing him, but treasuring him valuing him, seeing him as the one of greatest worth, having him more and more not just be your first love, but the ultimate love that shapes and informs everything about your life. Later in this letter, Paul is going to get into some very practical and specific ways about how we can treasure Christ in our relationships and in our families and even in our work. Treasuring Christ is having Christ as the center of your life, the sun whose light shines and informs every aspect of who you are. But notice how Paul links maturing in Christ to not only treasuring Christ, but also loving one another. He says in verse 2 that their hearts are being knit together in love. This is an echo of the words of Jesus who said this in John chapter 13 verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, if we truly value Christ, then we should value one another, because Christ gave his life for us. Loving others is meant to be a sign of our life in Christ, because if we see Jesus as precious, then we should see the people that he died to save also as precious. However, my experience, it's not uncommon that sometimes as people grow in their knowledge and experience of the Lord, love for others is not always the most natural response. We had this saying in the pastor's college uh, that I went to that after someone graduates, they need to be put in a cage for a year. And, and the reason for that was because they just had this rich and full experience of the Lord. And sometimes they go back to local churches filled with all this frustration with people. They just don't get it. I wish they were godlier. I wish they desired more and more. And they just start seeing all these things that everyone around them doesn't seem to have. And subtly and unintentionally, their experience with God can be twisted into some kind of self-righteousness towards others. But here Paul is saying that valuing Christ can never be severed from having your heart knit together in love for those whom Christ died. Maturity is not shown just in the depth of our individual relationship with God, but in the strength of our love for one another. And so the purpose of our ministry is to proclaim Christ so that we might help people mature in Christ. We might help people take a next step in treasuring Jesus and in loving people. Friends, this is our purpose. This is our purpose. We can have different jobs. We can have different seasons of life. But this is our unchanging purpose, to proclaim Christ so that everyone we come in contact with might treasure him more and love other people more deeply. Yet we need to understand that pursuing this purpose will come at a price. So let's look at point number two. The price of our ministry. I think now we're ready to talk about what Paul means when he says he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We know that Paul cannot mean that there's any lack in Jesus and what he's done to accomplish our salvation. No, that mystery, as he says in this text, has been revealed. Jesus is the Christ. His work is sufficient as a suffering servant and the conquering king. He has accomplished our salvation. Jesus said it is finished on the cross, and he wasn't joking about that. He meant it. He has paid it all. And so there's nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions. There's nothing more that we have to do in order to be saved from our sins. So what is this lack then that Paul is referring to? Well, I think we can be helped to see how Paul is using uh, this phrase by looking at another place that uses almost the identical phrase in Philippians chapter 2. It's a little pro tip, but the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. And so in Philippians chapter 2, we see Paul talk about this man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the emissary of the Philippian church, and he took some gifts from the people of Philippi to Rome where Paul was imprisoned. And as he did so, he almost died as a result. And so this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30. He says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete, which is actually the same Greek word as to fill up, what is lacking, same word here in our text is lacking, in your service to me. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What was lacking in the Philippian church's service to Paul? What was lacking was that they had these gifts for Paul, but they couldn't get them to Paul. They were in Philippi, and Paul was in Rome. And so they needed Epaphroditus to fill up what was lacking in their gift by delivering their gift to Paul. There was nothing lacking in their gift. It was a complete gift. But in order for Paul to appreciate and experience their gift, someone had to take that gift and give it to Paul. And so what was lacking in their gift was the deliverance of it. As Epaphroditus Epaphroditus delivered this gift, he, he suffered for it. He almost died. And so actually, his sufferings that he experienced in delivering this gift is what made up for the lack of their gift. And I think that that's what Paul means when he says that his sufferings make up for the lack of Christ's afflictions. What Paul made up for in Christ's sufferings is that he took the gift of what Christ had accomplished through his finished work in suffering and dying for our salvation. And Paul took that gift and he suffered as he brought that gift to others. By proclaiming Christ. In verse 29, he goes on to talk about toiling and struggling. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he talks about how great a struggle I have for you. Paul had to close the gap between what Christ had done and people coming to know what Christ had done, and as he closed that gap, suffering was often the result. Paul's struggles and sufferings sometimes were straight up persecution. He was beaten nearly to death on three different occasions for proclaiming Christ. Sometimes his sufferings were circumstantial. He was a wealthy man before in his prior life as an esteemed Jewish scholar, but he lost all his friends, he lost his position, and he lost his paycheck for being a Christian. He was shipwrecked twice and nearly died as a result as he took risks to share the gospel. Paul had This thing called a thorn in his flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Which was a persistent illness. And he says the reason that he was constantly physically weak in this way. Was that it was actually part of his ministry. It was not a hindrance to what God wanted to do in his life. It was actually what God wanted to do through his life. So that he would proclaim not his strength. But how he's weak and yet God can make him strong. All these things were part of the price of Paul's ministry. Proclaiming Christ was never easy for him. And we should not expect it to be easy for us. I was in a country where Christians are persecuted for their faith. I met men and women who have been jailed, beaten, lost loved ones as the price of their ministry for the Lord. Friends, we need to consistently pray for our brothers and sisters who live in persecuted countries. We certainly By the grace of God, don't experience anything like that in our country. Praise the Lord. But I do know business owners who have lost clients because they've shared about Christ with them. I know someone who was taken off the fast track at their company because they wouldn't lead a training where they were being asked to celebrate things about sexuality that Jesus says are sinful. I think for a long time in America, it's been easy to be a Christian but I think we are living more and more in a time where if we're not going to capitulate on the things that Jesus taught, then we should expect various types of persecution to come. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure if the American church is ready for that. It doesn't seem to be, because all of a sudden, as pressure comes down upon it, a lot of people are starting to change their convictions about what the Bible says at very convenient times. I don't say anything about persecution to engender fear in us, not at all. We should rather ask ourselves this hard question. Do I love people enough and treasure Christ enough to proclaim him even when it comes at a cost to me? That cost might be persecution. Or honestly, I think for us more often, the cost of doing ministry is just the mess that happens in relationships. Ministry is to people. And let's be honest, people can be hard. I know because I'm one of them. I can be hard, right? Like, we can get upset with one another. We can get offended. Our pride can get involved. We can have conflicts. We can be impatient. We can be frustrated. And ministry can be a struggle because ministry involves people, and people struggle. And far too often, God's agenda to help people mature in Christ gets shortchanged because Christians aren't willing to put in the work. When conflict comes, we just cancel each other. And move on. Because we aren't willing to pay the price of ministry. But friends, if Christ was willing to endure suffering the cross for us, how can we not be willing to endure whatever suffering comes our way in service to him? Now, if you hear this and you're like, hey, that's great in theory. I just don't think I have any of this in me. Well, here's the good news. You don't. And I don't. But God does. God does. I love what verse 29 says. For this I toil. Paul is working hard. He's suffering. He's paying that price of ministry. For this I toil. How? Struggling with all his energy. That he powerfully works within me. Let's look at point number three. The power of our ministry. We try to embrace this lifestyle ministry in our own effort. Friends, we will soon burn out. We will never serve God long and lasting in the strength that we have. The only way to serve God for the long haul is to serve in the strength that he supplies. Let's be very clear. The application to this sermon should not be, okay, I'm going to try really hard to be better. No, the response should be, God, I need your help. God, I need your power. Christian ministry is fueled by by a life of dependency on the power of God, not a trust in the sufficiency of ourselves. There was a famous violinist named Fritz Kreisler. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but because uh, I don't listen to many violinists, but uh, this is a good story. This famous violinist, and, and he bought one of the most expensive violins in the world. This was about 50 years ago. It was this exquisite Stradivarius violin. probably cost about $15 million today. I can't even wrap my mind around a $15 million instrument. And he held this huge concert in Carnegie Hall where people from all over the world came to hear him play on this incredible instrument. And he played the opening song, and it was so moving and so powerful that even though he had another hour left of his concert, there was a standing ovation just after the first song for about 10 minutes. And then eventually, after the crowd finally quieted down, he took the violin and he calmly but strongly smashed it to the ground and broke it to smithereens. And people gasped in horror. Chrysler walked off the stage and then came back with a different violin. And he said, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. The instrument that you so appreciate and which I just destroyed is not the Stradivarius you came to hear, but a practice fiddle that I bought for a dollar from a peddler down the street. He then played the Stradivarius for the rest of the concert, but he had made his point. What mattered was not the instrument that was being played, but the skill of the one playing it. Friends, in ministry, we are just an instrument. God's the one with the skill. We don't have to be extraordinary people in order to walk in God's purpose. No, we just have to be willing and dependent people on the power of God. And we need to put ourselves in positions where we need the power of God. If you never share the gospel, then you won't need God's power to share the gospel. If you never text an encouragement to a friend about Christ, then you won't need God's power to be an encouragement to them. If you never do anything for Christ that comes at a cost to you, then you'll never experience God's power to help you bear that cost. You see, if we want to experience the power of God, then we need to step out and do things that are only possible through the power of God. There's a story in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus invites Peter to go out, get, step out of the boat and walk on the water with him. And Peter did, does that, right? He, he, he walks on the water. And in doing so, he has this incredible experience of the power of God. He doesn't sink, something he could never do in his own strength. But the only reason he was able to experience doing something that he couldn't naturally do was because he took a risk and stepped out into something that only God could do. If he had stayed in the boat, he never would have experienced God's power to help him walk on water by getting out of the boat. How often we limit God's power in our lives because we never step out into taking risks to do things that require God's power in our lives. We stay in the boat. But friends, if we want to see God moving powerfully in our lives, we have to get outside our comfort zones. We have to step out into things that we can never do in and of ourselves. Maybe no one at your office knows you're a Christian. Tomorrow, step out in God's power. And when you talk about what we did this weekend, share about how you went to church. Because Jesus is the most important thing in your life. That might seem like a daunting task. I don't don't even know how to do that. I'm scared of what could happen. But embrace how overwhelming that feels. And allow your sense of inadequacy to create in you a dependency on God to move through you. Maybe helping kids is not your thing step out in God's power and volunteer for kids camp? I you know it's like man I don't I don't I don't know if I can do that like I got so much going on I don't really know if I'm good with connecting with kids. Listen friends, Numbers chapter 22, God used a donkey to speak to a prophet. If you don't believe me, read the story, it's true. If God can use a donkey to speak to a prophet, he can use you to speak to a bunch of 5-year-olds. Trust me. Maybe sometimes you felt prompted to share something at the ministry mic might hear on a Sunday morning, but public speaking is just not your thing. Friends, step out in God's power and come up and talk to me during our closing songs. Maybe God does have something for you to share. There'll be an encouragement to the church. Maybe you just step out in God's power and send that encouraging text to your brother or sister in Christ who God's put on your heart. Where you're like, I don't know if this comes across as weird. Risk being weird and encourage them in the Lord. I had a text this morning, someone I haven't heard from in a year and a half, um, just He's overseas doing different work. We just kind of fell in touch. He said, God, Jeff, God had you on my heart today. And I just wanted to pray for you and let you know that I love you. You know how encouraging it was to get that text this morning? I'm so grateful you stepped out and sent it. Maybe you need to step out and do something like that. Maybe you step out into God's power and sacrifice more financially to be able to give to God's mission. Maybe you step out in God's power and be willing to lead something or willing to serve more in the church than you currently do. I don't know how God is specifically calling you to be more involved in his ministry, but I do know that he wants to use you to do things that only he can do. We're all called to serve the Lord. We're all called to live a lifestyle of ministry, of being being in his service, used by him. But that call will only be fulfilled if we're living in dependence on God's power. And so, friends, our purpose to proclaim Christ... And that purpose will come with a price. But the good news is that the power of God will strengthen us so that we'll be able to endure whatever price it costs us to proclaim Him. And so as we come to a close, friends, I I just want to give you this vision. In the midst of our hustle and bustle and daily grind of life, I want you to keep this vision in mind. Imagine what it will... Be like, to be in the eternal glory of heaven, and to have someone come up to you and say, Your life of ministry is what God used to bring me here. Through that conversation, through that prayer, through that coffee that we shared, through that text, through that friendship, you pointed me to Christ, even when it came at a cost to yourself. I mean, just imagine. What it would be like to hear how you are part of someone's eternal story. And then imagine having the Savior come up and put his nail scarred hands on your shoulders and look in your eyes and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Imagine. Friends, there's no award, there's no amount of money, no accomplishment of anything on earth. that could rival that. Just imagine it. (laughs) And then don't just imagine it, but live for it. You don't have to be an extraordinary person to live for an extraordinary purpose. God wants to use us, ordinary followers of Jesus, To live a lifestyle of ministry for Jesus. To make proclaiming him and helping other people take their next step our purpose. To be willing to suffer whatever price it costs to, to have that happen because Jesus is worth it. And to step out in dependence upon his power. Listen, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, God's inviting you today to come to know him and to find your true purpose in life in him. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, friends, God is trying to reorient and recenter you today and remind you about what your purpose is supposed to be all about. We only have one short life to live. Let's not waste it living for ourselves, but let's spend our lives living to be used by God in his ministry for other people's good and for his glory. Let's pray.